Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Never seen since recklessness in my life. What's the matter with you, anyways? Well, I'm very sorry. I am really. I can't think what came over me. I behaved like a proper Charlie, and the bobby here is quite right. I do deserve a good dressing down. <laughs> Not to say anything about this bird. Like what? Why he talks. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't think he's from around here. <laughs> the fact is, I'd say he's from somewhere else. You think so? He's a troublemaker from another country. You really think so? Uh, he's a foreigner, all right. Maybe Canada, what do you think? You know where he just might be from? Hmm. Heckman Dwight, England. <laughs> Ask him. Where are you from, fella? Heckman Dwight, England. <laughs> About 35 years ago, I walked into a Hardee's in Philadelphia and ordered biscuits and gravy. The lady behind the counter said, oh, you're from the South, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. She said, we don't do biscuits and gravy up here. I said, so what's the purpose of Hardee's then if there's no biscuits and gravy? She kind of looked at me funny. I fixed a hamburger. I said, I don't want a hamburger. Thank you very much. Our accents give us away sometimes where we're from and some things about us. Um, they, they can tell we can, we can spot foreigners when foreigners come in from other countries oftentimes by their accent. I wonder, my, my grandmother was born in the 1890s and died in the 1980s, early, early, early 80s. And uh, so 40 years after her death, I wonder if she came back now, what, what she would think about, what she would have to say about our culture what, what is called music now, um, what's, what, what is called fashion now. Uh, I wonder what she would think about Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I, I think I know. Um, I wonder what she'd think about a lot of things in our culture, uh, how, what we're calling and referring to as family now. Uh, I, I think I know her answer to those kinds of things. I wonder how she'd feel about some African countries uh, using aborted babies as fuel. Uh, I wonder how she'd feel about that. Those, those kinds of things cross my mind often because as I, as I see our culture changing and shifting away from a sense of morality, certainly away from scripture, and becoming uh, overtly anti-God. The enemy used to, to hide himself and disguise himself. He's not doing that anymore. He's, he's in your face now. And um, so I want us to see about what, what, what the scripture says here in First Peter chapter 2 about our living as foreigners, as strangers in this place. Uh, as time goes by, I'm, I'm feeling more and more like a foreigner, more and more like a stranger. You probably are as well. 
uh, as a result of the things you're seeing in our culture. But I want us to see what we can glean today from this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. So follow along with me if you can. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or as, as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love your fellow believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who do good, who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should also follow his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Five things today I want us to see from this text. First is this. Foreigners live life on the runway. Foreigners live life on the runway. Look at 11 and 12 again. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against you. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of, of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. A few years ago, there was uh, a show on TV called Person of Interest. That show began with the, one, of the, one of the characters in that show saying, you're being watched. And it was in reference to surveillance cameras in the city of New York and, and the digital footprint that each of us have as we use credit cards and, and make transactions in, in our culture. And how all of that information is fed into a, a labyrinth, of, labyrinth of computers and th this server creates artificial intelligence. And the AI then can predict what we're going to do next, the next series of events that'll happen in our lives. Some of that, there's probably some validity too. I don't know about all of that, but uh, the point is, is people were being watched and you and I are being watched, maybe not by camera all the time, but there are folks in our world um, observing your life, observing your values, observing your decisions, observing your Facebook posts, obser observing your, your work ethic, observing the things that are important to you, the things that aren't, observing your marriage, uh, how you handle yourself, how you parent kids. Our eyes and our minds are naturally drawn to what's different, to what sticks out. 
That's why if you're heading down the interstate, there's a wreck on the other side of the interstate, you like me are wondering why, why is everybody in my side slowing down? Because we're all rubbernecking to see what's different. Traffic isn't flowing, somebody had a wreck. Same thing with a, with a fight or a catastrophe or a fire or anything else. We're drawn to what's different, to what sticks out, to what's different from, from the norm. That's what he's saying here in verses 11 and 12, to say you need to be that different to where you draw attention to yourself and, and the me that's in you. Um, live lives that are, that are different, that aren't like the others, that are contagious and in, influential to the extent that he says here in verse 12 that the pagans, those without Christ basically, to the extent that the pagans see your, see your example and come to Christ by seeing your example lived out in front of them. So this first point begs a couple of questions if, if life's on the runway. First one's this, is there anything different about you? about the rest of our culture is there anything that stands out as foreigners as strangers that he talks about in verse verse 11 is there anything that that that's that much different about you than than the rest of our culture or do you just kind of blend in fairly easily and and, and navigate your way through a, a gray and dark culture second question is is there anything desirable or admirable in your life that people want to model after that people want to be like that people want to Ask questions about why do you why do you handle this this why do you handle kids your kids this way why do you do do why do you work this way why do you have, have such a, dil, a diligent work work ethic are there those kind of questions that are coming into your life is there anything desirable and admirable that people want to be like and model let me give you a couple of, of things that I think this world is chasing after in, in a huge way is peace and contentment believers should live with a level of peace that's contagious. They should live with a level, because we know the end of the story. We can see the end of the book. So you and I should live with a level of peace that is and seems somewhat freakish in our culture. Because our, our, this culture is not at peace. We're not at peace with each other. And it, it, it pains me and hurts me to say that truth, but that's the case. But there should be a sense of peace in the, in the hearts and lives and, and mouths and attitudes of believers. To the extent that we live with a level of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, in how we live and walk, in the things we say and do. That we know that there are things about our life that should be desirable and contagious, and we're pursuing that intentionally. Foreigners live life on the runway. Secondly, foreigners realize they're not in charge. Look at verse 13, when he says, Submit yourselves to the Lord for, sake to every, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish who realize we're not in charge. Several years ago, uh, and you heard some of you heard this story, but not the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. We took some baseball baseball style caps, truckers caps, those kind of things, to Nic uh, Nicaragua to share with men at a men's conference. Guys in Nicaragua, uh, you're 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 a Svengali if you got some baseball caps to give away. That is, so. We took a bunch of baseball caps, took, took uh, two or three suitcase fulls of baseball caps, several hundred baseball caps. We're going through customs as we, as we enter into Nicaragua. And they open the baseball, open the suitcases. They, I'm sure, see, see in, in the scanner, you know, something unusual in these suitcases. They open suitcases, find all the baseball caps. We, through a, a translator, are trying to explain to them what's, what, what we've brought them for. We're going to give them away, holding a men's conference. And these two, I should be nice. These two men, these two gentlemen across the table from me, <clears throat> and they were 
three or four of us standing there on our team. I'm trying to explain to them through an, through an interpreter what, what these are for. And they decide to confiscate all these baseball caps. Well, I don't know why they're confiscating them, but I can't tell them that I don't know why they're confiscating them. But it, it, it just flew all over me that two little shrimps that were 145 pounds soaking wet, five foot, four inches tall, were looking at the rest of us men standing across the table from them, from, from them saying, you can't take these baseball caps into the country. Everything in me wanted to jerk that guy up and say, yes, I can, and I will. Get your hands off my suitcase. I'm giving these to the men. But I didn't do that. I submitted to authority, and it, it flew all over me that I had to. I didn't like a bit of it. But I submitted to authority. Heaven knows where those baseball caps are now. Probably in those guys' closets at home, I would say. But, um, but that's, that's the idea that he's trying to convey here. Is you're not in charge. In fact, the more you act in charge, the more arrogant you become and the more off-putting so oftentimes we are. He says submit here, meaning to respect and serve those in authority. It's what submission means, whether we agree or not. Whether we agree or not, we're called to submit. I don't like that truth. This is hard truth for me to, to preach and teach today because I don't like that. I'm, 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 I'm a contrarian sometimes. And, and as a contrarian, I don't like to be told what to do, but he tells us here to submit. Listen, here, here's the example. You think Jesus agreed with, with the Sanhedrin and the Pilate? He didn't agree with anything they were doing and told them so publicly, ridiculed them. But when it mattered most, this, this mock trial that they put him through and taking of his life, he submitted to them willingly. Uh, great, great lesson for you and I to understand this idea of submission even when we don't agree understand we're not in charge it was God's will that Jesus submit it's God's will that you and I do too you need to understand how the how scripture and contextually presents itself why is that the case because we think that caving uh, or compromise is is what's occurring but he is helping them see that as as service he's helping them see that as sacrifice as submission we see it as caving and compromise but the time it gets to their eyes and their heart that need to know Jesus he helps them see that as service and sacrifice. We've got to let go of our own perceptions in order to see the authority of God and walk in the authority of God according to his word, according to his design. This is one way, another, another scriptural example, basically he's saying, life is not about you. And I need to hear that a lot. I don't know about you. I need to hear a lot. Life is not about you, son. It's not about you. Get over yourself. It's about others. We're not in charge. Thirdly, foreigners live life on the runway, realize that we're not in charge. But thirdly, foreigners know themselves and each other. They know themselves and each other. Look at 16 and 17, which says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love your fellow believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Even though we're not slaves to government. We're, we are to still be slaves to God, as he's saying here in, in this verse. However, these, look at these four pillars, pillars of, of submission here in verse 17. He says that we're to respect, we're to love, we're to fear, and we're to honor, meaning we're to respect everyone. We're, regardless of title, regardless of substance, we're to respect each, uh, everyone around us, show them respect. We're to love each other as, as believers, he says in verse 17. To, 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 in the sense that there is such a deep love among the hearts of believers, and there should be in this church and every church across America this morning, that people, when people walk in, they wonder, 
Why do they care so much about each other? I mean, they've seen each other once a week, maybe. But there's something deeper. There's a bond deeper than just, hey, how you doing? How's your kids? Why is that the case? People should, should be drawn to that love for each other. And that's, that's contagious, as he's saying here in, in this verse. Second, thirdly, we're, we're, this third pillar of submission is to fear God. Not in the sense that we're afraid to approach God, but in the sense that we, we recognize his supreme authority and, and we don't have it. We fear his authority. And finally, he says to honor government, to honor those in, in authority over us, to honor, our, to honor our leaders. Again, doesn't say anything about honor the ones you agree with. <laughs> he says honor those in authority over you. Uh, hard truth as well as sometimes. Now, none of these things change who I am. They're, they're, it's hard truth to swallow, but none of these change who I am, but they do change how I live. They, should, they change how I behave. They change my attitudes. They change the way I approach people. They change the way I see others around me. Uh, why is that so important? Because we're on a runway. You and I are under a microscope. People who, who know you're a person of faith watch you more closely than they watch someone else because they're waiting for you to slip and fall. You're, you're, you're under a microscope. That's why we need to realize uh, these things about each other's submission to each other. Fourthly, foreigners live life on the runway, realize we're not in charge. Foreigners know themselves and each other. But fourthly, foreigners understand their job doesn't define them. They understand their job doesn't define them. Look at verse 18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. Slave, don't, don't get hung up on the term slave in this verse because it literally translates servant or worker. So, so he's talking about a, a worker or, or a person going about a task. What he's also saying here is that our faith defines us, not our job, not our career, not our profession. Now, that's harder for guys than it is for ladies because guys make those connections. What, what, what we do for a living, what we do for, for money, what we do to pay bills tends to define who we are. He's saying here, don't get definition that way. Get definition out of your relationship with me, not out of your relationship to, to a, an employer or a job or a career somewhere. That's, that's an internal, not external thing. Uh, he, he's saying here that what, what should define us is not our job, but our faith. And not just our faith, but how our faith holds up under what he describes in verse 16 as harsh leadership. Meaning that it's hard to exercise our faith in, in some of those places sometimes because the leadership is harsh. Yet he says, even in harsh leadership, show your faith to be true. Show your love for me and your relationship with me to guide the things you do for, for, for work. Um, it's, even if it's unjust, even if it's unfair, even if it, it, it appears sometimes like suffering. Uh, what he sp speaks to in verse 19. Because, why? Because God is not concerned with fair. We looked at that a couple of months ago. God's not concerned with fair for you and I. His goal is not fair. It's never been fair. His goal is justice, not fairness. Rightness, not fairness. So you're, you, you may be in situations on your job or what you do for work that's unfair and unjust. And, and as he says here, sometimes it seems even harsh to have to deal with. But he says, keep trudging, keep walking. Let, let your servanthood speak louder than your animosity for what you're doing because our job doesn't define us, and it shouldn't. Finally, foreigners live life on the runway, realize we're not in charge, know themselves and each other, understand their jobs doesn't define them. But finally, foreigners learn to embrace, ready, suffering. Foreigners learn to embrace suffering. Look at verse 21. 
says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Follow in his steps. So we should embrace suffering. Really? <laughs> yes, we should. Why? Because that's the road he's saying here to Christ's likeness. That's who Jesus was and what he did. If you want to follow after him, you're going to experience some suffering along the way. He says the more you suffer, the more you become like Christ. Suffering is, is a part of the journey of, of our becoming Christ-like, of, of our following his example and his lead. If not, then life becomes more or less about the so, total sum of your accumulations, the things you've gathered instead of the things you've given away. Suffering forces us to give ourselves away, sometimes unwittingly and unknowingly, sometimes begrudgingly. But suffering forces us to, to give ourselves away instead of accumulating for ourselves. Um, the runway is not about us. It's about him. The runway is about him, about, about others seeing him. And yes, suffering oftentimes can stop us in our tracks, but it's what happens after the suffering that matters. Don't see the suffering as a means to an end. See it as a vehicle to, to some other place because it's what happens after the suffering that matters in terms of this. Whether as a result of the suffering, we get stuck, stuck in the same place, stuck in letting that suffering, that place of harsh harsh treatment, that, place, that, that hard place, that rocky place, letting that place define us instead of choosing to, for it to be a means to a more glorified end of God and a more wise end of me. And suffering should be those things. It should, it should take us to a place. It's, suffering's not the end. But it should help us see a side of Christ that we would not see otherwise apart from that suffering. So are we, are we, do, do we stay struck? Uh, stuck in a stuck place, or does the suffering teach us to move in a different direction? That's what God's designed suffering to do, is to move us in a direction that looks more like him, that thinks more like him, that's more attuned to his will, his plan, his purpose, his direction for you and I. Suffering should move us toward him, not get us in a stuck place and cause us to, to have the analysis of paralysis. But we, we need to learn to embrace suffering as hard a truth as that is to swallow. In fact, all of this this morning is kind of hard to swallow for me because I, I'm a, as I said, I'm a contrarian, and I don't like being told what to do. And, and this idea of being, a, I don't mind being a slave to God, but I, I, it, it flies all over me to be to be a slave to man when he expects it of me, and that's wrong and it's sinful, and I, I need to repent of that. And I find myself today uh, in a place of needed repentance. Maybe you're, you're the same as me. A couple of questions as we wrap, and that's this. First is this is does the pendulum of what you want out of life swing more toward comfort or more toward suffering? Does the pendulum of what you want out of life, your goals for your life, does it, does it look more like comfort or does it look more like suffering? He's saying here in this passage, we need to, it needs to look more like suffering. Usually, if you're like me, that's, that's a continual movement. Some days, uh, I'm in charge. Some days, I'm, I'm found not to be in charge. Some days I, I, want, I want things my way. Some things I don't. Some, some days I'm seeking my own comfort. Some days I'm not. That's, that's kind of a moving target. But you, you have to answer that question for yourself, and no one can answer it but you. Is that pendulum in your life of what you want look more like comfort, more like suffering? He's called us to suffering. Does it look more like our culture or more like Christ? Uh, Jabez play, prayed for suffering so that he would know God more. Job was experiencing suffering and was praying for comfort. <laughs> What are you seeking? What are you praying for? What, what, what do you want out of life? 
if, if it looks more like Christ's likeness, then suffering is going to be the vehicle to getting there. And the last question is this, is on your runway, who's more famous, you or him? On the runway of your life, as people look into your life, especially as they see behind the scenes, but even on the surface, does it look more like you? Does it more look, look more like him? I think you know where the answer to that question needs to be. Uh, it's, our lives need to look, our, our runways need to look like him. We are under glass. We're being observed by this culture. But I have some good news. The land we're from and the land we're eventually going to is worth any of this and, and more. The land you and I are really from when we, when we, when we trust Christ, our, our citizenship, our identity changes, and that place that we're, going, that we're coming from and going to is far worth any suffering, any hardship, any hard place you and I walk. But we are, if you don't feel much like a foreigner here, <clears throat> you're probably not experiencing a lot of suffering. You're probably seeing, seeking comfort more than suffering. You're probably walking in a, in a fairly contented place. But if you feel like the further you go, the less you look like the people around you, the less you believe like the people around you, the less you talk like the people around you, sound like the people around you, you're probably getting a good grasp of what Peter, First Peter was talking about to say, you're foreigners here, you're strangers, you're aliens in a foreign land because you're in a sinful place and you weren't designed to be that way once you accept Christ. You're designed to be from someplace else. And so that, that resemblance needs to walk with us every day. That resemblance needs to be obvious to others every day because we are under glass. Your walk and my walk, your faith and mine are being observed by people around you every day and being judged rightly or wrongly, submissively or arrogant every day. I fear mine's not being judged like I'd like for it to be judged. I need to find myself more readily in a place of surrender and submission. How about you? Let's pray. Father, today... Um, would we get rid of the cultural gauges that we use to determine whether life is good or bad, whether life is, is um, worth living or not, whether it's sustainable or not? Would we get rid of this culture's gauges, gauges of seeing life through those kinds of lenses? And look at yours. Yours says, if you're going to walk with Christ, you're going to suffer. If you're going to be mine, if you're going to identify with me, you're going to seem like a foreigner seem like an alien here. You're not going to fit in here because you weren't designed for here. You were designed for someplace else. So today, as, as strange as this may seem for us, would you cause us to, to understand that if, if we are uncomfortable, if we are ill at ease, if we are, it just seems like we can't fit in, that that's a great sign we're walking more, in a more godlike way, in a more godlike direction. Because if we are uncomfortable in our pursuits of this culture, we're going to find greater comfort in our pursuit of you. Perhaps not ease, perhaps more suffering, but greater comfort knowing that we're in the place where God's designed for us to be. So today as we try and walk that out and live that out uh, with some failures along the way, dropping the ball along the way, getting self-consumed along the way, as we try and live that out and walk that out, would you cause us to see that the more we experience those kinds of places, the more we become like Jesus. The more we're designed to become like him, the more we think like him, walk like him, talk like him, the more our nature and attitudes are like his. Because we weren't designed for, to, to fit in here, 
We were, but we were and are designed to live contagious lives. Help us to see that we are being watched. People are observing our lives. What's the testimony of our, of our lives saying? More comfort, more suffering. What's the runway of our lives saying? More us or more you? Change our hearts today if, if those answers are in the wrong place. Cause us to leave different than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ. 